Hey everybody, this is Gene Marks and welcome to the Paychecks Business Series podcast. Today, you're going to hear a great conversation that will bring you completely up to date on all things health related uh, concerning COVID. I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Saskia Popescu, who is the assistant professor uh, of the biodefense program, no, this is not weaponry, uh, at the Shah School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. We had a great conversation about all the things that business owners should be considering as we emerge from the pandemic. And I also asked her specific questions about masks, cleaning surfaces, getting temperature checks, and even traveling as well. So very, very good information for you to help you run your business as safely as possible and also hopefully get out on the road as well. So uh, like I said to you, Sasuke, before we even got started recording this, you're going to need to explain to our audience what exactly that means and what your specialty is. So go, tell us. <laughs> of course. So um, I am an infectious disease epidemiologist and infection preventionist. And biodefense is really about the notion that infectious diseases, whether they are naturally occurring outbreaks like SARS-CoV-2, which is COVID-19, or a lab accident, you know, in which we've seen with um, anthrax in some cases, you know, not really resulting in case, you know, actual cases, but where we didn't inactivate something appropriately and even nefarious intent like biological attacks. So the spectrum of biological risks and threats is something that we really study in biodefense because we recognize that infectious disease threats, whether they're outbreaks, um, you know, like I mentioned, intentional events, they pose a really big threat to global health. And they require us to look at it from both the science and the policy perspective. So that's really what we focus on at Char School. I have to wonder, how did you get into this? Like, what was it? Is this what you always dreamed of doing when you were a 10 year old back in elementary school? <laughs> so I've actually had this, this passion for infectious diseases since I was about eight years old. And it just, I know, super nerd as a child. Um, and it just kind of developed and snowballed into when I found out, um, you know, really what biodefense and health security was mostly just because I, I, I really recognized that studying infectious diseases was one really amazing thing, but the impact of them and how they could really challenge our approach to everyday life is something that I really found fascinating. And that's what we're living in COVID. You know, I don't think people realized how far reaching an infectious disease um, could have on society, especially when we're experiencing a pandemic, but even on a smaller scale, it can be quite impacting. Well, listen, um, we have had it up to here with COVID. You know, we, we've been living through this, you know, nightmare for the past year. We are on our way, um, you know, on our way, you know, hopefully towards recovery. Um, and, and honestly, a lot of my clients, a lot of our listeners, I mean, we're just, we're sick and tired of it all. And yet we know that it's still reality and we have to see our way through this. So, you know, the economy's recovery, you know, you know, we've got vaccinations, you know, are, are continuing to go up um, and we're trying to open up our businesses. So a couple, let me ask you some specific questions about what's going on right now from a business owner's standpoint. So for starters, you know, we hear a lot about variants. Um, should we be concerned about rising cases and variants as we're opening up our businesses. And, I, and I'll tell you the reason why I asked this is that um, I had one doctor say to me, Saskia, like uh, that he was fully vaccinated, but he still doesn't, won't be eating out at a restaurant because he doesn't like the message that that sends. Like it's still not safe. And I think to myself like, oh my goodness, I mean, these restaurant owners out there that are desperate for business, 
certainly don't want to hear that. So, is, you know, is he right by not wanting to eat out? I mean, he's concerned about variants. Tell us what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things to unpack there. The, the first question is, should we be concerned about variants? And that's yes. Variants are not a novel concept. It's not unique to COVID-19. You know, viruses mutate. That's part of what they do. So it's expected. But when we have variants that have increased transmissibility, meaning they spread more efficiently, that is a concern. And we are starting to see the numbers of, you know, variants rise in the U.S. So something to worry about for sure, especially as we do see this trend up in cases across the U.S. So you know, I, I encourage people to be mindful of that. Look at the CDC, look at your local public health department information to get what's going on in your community. But overall, always be mindful that case numbers change and we want to, you know, be able to pivot if things really start to climb up. Now, when it comes to kind of businesses and that comment, I, I, I think the hardest part for those of us like really working in, in the infectious disease folks is that you know, there's, there's risk and then there's perception. And, you know, I was just in Seattle this weekend and I was amazed by how wonderful their outdoor dining was. You know, I, I come from a state in Arizona right now where we have, not, we've really struggled with those interventions. So I, I ate outside comfortably. I was very impressed with their protocols. So it can be safely done. Would I feel comfortable eating indoors right now? And I'm fully vaccinated. And the answer is no. I just, I think that is a higher risk activity. You know, there's still a lot of questions we have about vaccine efficacy in terms of preventing asymptomatic infection. But I, I agree with his sentiments in that you know, people don't know your vaccination status. And if they see a full restaurant indoors, that could signal, oh, COVID, I'm not, I shouldn't be worried about COVID. If all these people are eating indoors, then that's fine. You know, we have seen outbreaks related to indoor dining because you're unmasked. So to me, that is the highest kind of risk activity, eating, drinking indoors with a lot of other people for a prolonged period of time. So I like to encourage people, like, how can we make this activity safer? And bring it outdoors where it's separated and where, you know, people can still mask when they're interacting with staff. You know, coming from somebody who's an epidemiologist, you are sort of the final answer. You're going to be the most conservative is when it comes to, you know, getting back to real life. So you're fully vaccinated, but you still don't feel comfortable eating indoors yet. So if I own a restaurant, what, what, is there anything I can do? <laughs> that can persuade you, considering your background and what you do, and the fact that you're fully vaccinated, that yes, my, my establishment is safe for you to come in and eat. It would really have to be a mixture of all the intervention strategies. So you would have to have a very, very small percentage of people in there. They would have to be well distanced. So the minimum really is that six foot rule, right? And I think people think of it and they're like, oh, okay, as long as we're six feet apart, everything is safe. That is a minimum. That is one piece of the puzzle, right? Risk reduction is additive. So if you had tables that were at least like 10, 12 feet apart, you know, you have doors and windows open, you've got some good ventilation going in there. And then there were mask requirements when you were interacting, you know, with people not at your table. I think that could make me feel safer. Um, I just haven't had I haven't seen that happen, honestly. You know, I had to pass through a restaurant the other day to go to the patio and I was really surprised by how many people were in there and, you know, they were supposed to be operating at a lower capacity, but I think, you know, we see these guidelines and we're like, okay, if it's only 25% of people, then we're less worried about all of the interve other intervention strategies. So if you are, you know, forced to do something inside, and again, I live in Arizona where we're going to 
be having temperatures soar pretty soon. Having people at least 10 feet apart, you know, really mindful of ventilation and air exchanges because this is an unmasked environment for patrons is going to be super important. Yeah, that's fair enough. Now, again, getting back to, I, and this becomes a more of an issue as more people continue to be vaccinated. Um, can you give us any updates, Saskia, or at least your, your thoughts, what the research is showing about uh, the transmissibility of you know, of the virus, you know, when, when somebody is fully vaccinated, um, you know, the chance that somebody else can actually catch it from a fully vaccinated person? So I think the hard part is we're still learning more of that. It seems to be, you know, very substantially decreased, which is helpful, but, you know, getting some information out of Israel has been helpful. I think they're showing anywhere between 80 and 90% decrease in COVID infections. So, you know, or I should say SARS-CoV infection. So here's kind of the difference. You get infected with the SARS-CoV-2 virus and some people are asymptomatic, meaning they have no symptoms. Some people are pre-symptomatic, meaning they are infectious, but then don't develop symptoms until later. And some people entirely have symptoms. And we know that the whole goal of the vaccine is to prevent those severe symptoms and you know illness and death. What we're still trying to understand is does it prevent asymptomatic and pre-symptomatic infection? So right now we're seeing some positive, some you know, very optimistic data coming out that those who got vaccinated, you know, very few of them did test positive for the virus. And if they did, they really didn't have any symptoms. But really trying to understand, okay, if that's the case, how infectious were they? So I guess the moral of what I'm saying is we're not there yet where I, I would feel comfortable saying that, but I think the reason, you know, why we still have this guidance is because we're learning about this, you know, this vaccine was developed in the middle of a pandemic where, you know, it under such intense safety and scrutiny that, you know, we are collecting this data daily. So until we get more of that, where we feel comfortable making changes to guidance, I really encourage people to just be mindful of that. So is it, you know, I can't give you a number, but it is pretty significantly decreased. But that being said, the CDC guidance still says, if you are vaccinated and, you know, you're going to go to a restaurant, you should still wear your mask when you're there. You should still be mindful of all of those other infection prevention measures. You know, it's funny what I'm learning from you as well is that, um, you know, it, it, it seems like it's good news, but there's just not enough data. And, you know, in your role and, in, and you know, in defense of our public health, public health officials, you know, they're, you know, without firm data, they're trying to come up with a strategy that's as safe and as cons you know conservative as possible. And I'm sure people in the public health field would be more than thrilled to tell everybody to throw away their masks and get back to real life. But, you know, they, they can't say that for certain. So they just have to be careful. And, you know, I think the hard part too is I, I have friends and even family who are small business owners and I've, I've given them guidance and thoughts throughout this entire thing. And it is so frustrating because it's, you know, I wish I could provide more of like a binary answer, yes or no, <laughs> but it's always with a caveat because that's where we are. And infectious diseases are not so black and white. It's a lot of varying grades of Shea and risk awareness. So, you know, when we look at something like a gym or a restaurant, you know, I can say yes, but. <laughs> so, and, and it's, I, you know, I help people know that that is entirely, it's a, it's a heartbreaking piece to working in public health because we all want to go back to a much more normal life. But also, you know, I, I have 
uh, colleagues who their spouses are business owners and this has been very impacting to them. So we're all working towards that collective goal. So we can clear up one question. And again, it's tough for you to do this without, again, because all the data is not in. But, you know, is it is it true? And I ask this because you know, employers are struggling with should they require employees to get vaccines or not? And what is the implication, you know, in their workplace for people who have been vaccinated or not vaccinated? So if, based on what you know, um, if somebody does get, um, you know, you know, infected by a, you know, a coworker that's been fully vaccinated, say it does get passed on, is it, isn't if you know, isn't the effects of it less? In other words, do people that the chance of them being hospitalized is is much less than it was before vaccinations? So are you are you asking if the person that's been infected is vaccinated or is unvaccinated? That's a good question. Let's start first of all with the person <laughs> the, the person that's been vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that the vaccinations are not one hundred percent effective, of course, because you know nothing nothing is. But my understanding is that if you've been fully vaccinated, you can still get COVID. It could still happen, but the effects of it would be much less. The, the chance of hospitalization is much lower. So number one, is that is that true in your understanding? Yeah, so we know that people who are fully vaccinated um, so far, you know, that was that kind of gray area where we believe it's pretty pretty significant protection against infection, even if it's asymptomatic. But with the data we have really strong information on is that prevention of severe disease and mortality. So that's that 95% efficacious. Right. And so, yes, so people who are vaccinated, you know, they're have great protection against severe disease and mortality. Um, you know, and, and let's say they were, you know, that, that very small percentage that we're still learning about who get, you know, infected with SARS-CoV-2, um, but they really don't have any symptoms. You know, if they pass that on to a colleague that, you know, who is not vaccinated, that would not have any impact on their disease. You know, if, if you're vaccinated and for some, you know, reason you're among that small percentage that gets SARS-CoV-2 and you were to give it to somebody else, that's not going to impact the their level of, you know, COVID-19. Their vaccination status, their immune system is what's going to change their response. So they could, they could still get just as sick as, as anything yeah. else, right? Got it. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. All right. Let's pivot a little bit because, I, again, I want to try and get out of the way of, of get some other issues in the workplace resolved. Um, cleaning and surfaces. You know, back in the day when this thing first broke a year ago, I mean, I had clients that were still open, essential businesses, and they're running around and cleaning surfaces and uh, you know, trying to keep everything sterilized and whatever. And then, you know, I read reports that really COVID, you know, the transmissibility of it, over surfaces is really nowhere near as uh, much of a risk as it as what we was originally thought. Is that true? Can you can you shed some light on that? Yeah. So anytime we're dealing with a novel disease, especially a respiratory pathogen, because a lot of them are transmitted through fomites, you know, those inanimate objects and surfaces that become contaminated. So flu, RSV, those kinds of things are very easy to transmit that way. So when we're dealing with these new diseases, we use all those intervention strategies because that's what we know. And we've seen them be efficacious for other ones. So, you know, we threw everything but the kitchen sink at COVID and for good reason. Um, but as time progressed, we noticed from more of an epidemiological standpoint that not a lot of transmission was occurring just from those surfaces. It's more, you know, this is a respiratory pathogen. You know, we say it's it's spread through shared air so that, you know, close contact, um, you know, inhalation of respiratory particles 
So that cleaning piece, um, you know, I struggle with because on one hand, is it a main driver for COVID-19 transmission? No, it can happen. It does happen on very small levels, but the hardest piece is that there's a lot of other infectious diseases out there that are spread this way. So I get so nervous when we talk about, well, so we don't need to be cleaning and disinfecting as much. It's like, well, we do, we weren't doing it enough in the beginning. And this is part of the reason why we also saw flu and respiratory virus season this year, you know, so low and it was much more mild than we'd ever seen because all of these interventions were paying off. So I encourage people you know, when you're looking at interventions from your workplace and in cleaning and disinfection should always be happening. Those are important things. Um, but we want to make sure we're doing all of the interventions, right? Masking, ventilation, distancing, those things. You know, it's funny that you say that because the, um, you know, if COVID has taught us anything that, you know, we should be washing our hands more um, and COVID or no COVID for, you know, the foreseeable future. So, you know, a valuable thing that a business owner should always be doing is encouraging their employees, you know, wash your hands and keep services clean and, and have a clean because it's not just COVID. It's like you said, a whole bunch of, you know, of other potential viruses that, that are out there. How about Saskia? Um, how about temperature checks? I mean, I went, um, yeah, I would like just recently I was going into a restaurant to like pick up a takeout order, which I had to pick up inside the restaurant. And before I was allowed inside, they like, they checked my temperature. And I was just thinking to myself, like, really? Like, are they, they're still doing this? Like, is, is that <laughs> yeah. necessary? And, you know, that's kind of a tough one because <laughs> is it, is it entirely futile? No, you know, you, you can still have fevers, of course, with COVID and other respiratory infections and, and other diseases. But, you know, what we do know is that a pretty significant portion of COVID-19 infections are asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic. So you wouldn't catch those with a temperature check. Um, you know, I, I, I struggle with it because on one hand, I don't want to totally discourage it, but on the other, it does feel a little, a little bit like, um, hygiene theater. And I would rather we focus on other efforts because we know that, you know, statistically speaking, what you're going to pick up is pretty minimal and body temperature is so varied between people. And those temperature um, devices are not always the most reliable. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of, you know, I, I would say if you have to pick between that and other interventions, I would say, you know, invest in, you know, some, some great masks for your employees or, you know, um, you know, HEPA filter for the space, things like that. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about restaurants and retail. Um, you know, a lot of our listeners just run business to business businesses, you know, B2B companies and, you know, they're, they're located in an industrial park somewhere or they've got, you know, in a manufacturing facility or an office complex. So let me address them. Let's assume, you know, Saskia, you are not doing this very cool job that you have um, and you are doing something really boring like manufacturing corrugated containers or, you know, or putting together assemblies of widgets which is what most businesses in this country do. Um, and you've got employees in your workplace. You've got a, you know, a, you know, a, a location in a, again, in an industrial park somewhere. Maybe you've got 50, 75 people coming to work every day. What advice do you have? If you were, if you were running that company, what would you be doing right now to make sure that it's as safe as possible for your employees? I would make sure that they have access to good masks um, and they're working in an environment where we've implemented safety protocols. And that means, um, you know, access to hand sanitizer and hand soap, 
enough breaks to do things like that, because that's something we don't always consider, obviously cleaning and disinfection, but are we ensuring that they can distance appropriately and that there is, you know, adequate ventilation and filtration in that space? And are we providing environments for them to eat and take breaks outside? Because that's a, that's a hard piece, right? Unmasked time is going to be our highest risk and break rooms can be those exact little, you know, uh, cluster events. So I encourage, you know, people to really look at their workflow and make sure that you are providing that space. Um, I cannot stress to you how exhausting it is to work a 12 hour day in a mask and you don't realize how dehydrated you become. So making sure that your employees have time for breaks to take their mask off, get it, you know, get some freedom for that a little bit, you know, breathe in without a mask on because it gets, you know, it gets a little toasty in there and drink water, you know, hydrate up and just have that mental break is so important. Um, and having that, is I don't think people realize just the amount of time that that can honestly take. So those pieces, um, ensuring an environment that is a no blame for if you are exposed, you know, if your kiddo tests positive for COVID-19 or your spouse does, and you are exposed that you should probably stay home from work if you're not vaccinated. So, you know, making sure that people feel comfortable sharing that, they might need to quarantine or they're not feeling that well and they should probably stay home. I think that's been the biggest challenge, you know, we have seen in general because not everybody has that ability. And if, especially if you are an hourly employee, you know, you might not have that protection. So encouraging this to be an environment where safety and health are prioritized. Great answer. Um, we're running a little bit short of time, but I, I just have I have just a couple quick questions to ask you. And you know, you had mentioned earlier that you travel to Seattle um, from Arizona. I'm assuming, correct? So, mm -hmm. you know, so first of all, I love this about you that you're eating out at restaurants. That's great from an epidemiologist. I like like to hear that, and I like to hear that you're traveling outside, though outside, outside, <laughs> outside. Yep, yep, yep. That's right. Um, and you are traveling, and so um, and I'm assuming you flew to Seattle. So, um, so tell us, give us some advice for traveling. When we get back to traveling, which people already are, um, if we're going to go to, you know, business meetings, conferences, let's start with the travel itself. Uh, what advice do you have for us business travelers? Yeah. So I think the first piece I would say is I I'm traveling for work. I am, you know, we're not vacationing right now. My husband oh, is not fully <laughs> vaccinated, um, but even then, you know, it's, it's important to be mindful about just travel in general right now. So when it comes to traveling for work, cause we all have to do it in some cases, I encourage people to make sure they don't travel. If they've recently been exposed or they're awaiting a test results, you've got a, a, you know, a good mask. So mask quality is all about fit and filtration. The CDC website is really helpful for that, that you are going to be wearing the whole time. Uh, eat before you travel. So the reason I say this is we have spent so much time and energy at airports, focusing on restaurants and bars where people are likely to flock. And I see this trend where people go and get the food and the drinks to go and then take them to the gate because they think that's safer. And then they're all sitting, you know, versus the restaurant, which was actually spaced pretty appropriately. They're all sitting like one chair away from each other at the gate, eating at the same time and drinking and then talking to their, whoever they're traveling with. And I'm just like, this is the problem. So that risk perception, I think is perhaps one of the biggest challenges we face for traveling. Um, the airplane, you know, it's, it's 
a pretty safe environment. The air exchanges are every three minutes. My husband's actually an aerospace engineer. And, you know, he was just telling me about the level of filtration that air goes through and it's, it is phenomenal. So I'm less concerned about the airplane when people are fully masked. The studies we've seen are all about masking the entire time. So if you are flying and you need to drink some water because you get dehydrated on a plane, make sure that you're cognizant of those around you. Is everybody else masked? Great. That's the time to drink some water. If everybody else is eating and drinking, probably should hold off. And that's also one of the other human factors things I've seen where we're handing out drinks and snacks at the same time. So everybody pulls down their mask to eat and drink at the same time. So, you know, I think just being super cognizant of your surroundings and trying to minimize the time that you might be unmasked around those who are also unmasked. Great answer. Uh, last question, and it does have to do with masks. Obviously, we're we're still in a you know in a stage right now. We're speaking, you and I, at the very end of March of 2021, and we're still in the stage where people are wearing masks. And it is a uh, because you know the cases are on the rise in some places, as well as the fact that uh, vaccinations still have a long way to go. But at some point, Saskia, you know, and I'm I, I don't know when that will be, but I'm assuming it will be summertime. Uh, there will be enough vaccinations available for those who want a vaccination. And so my first question to you on that is, do, do you agree with that timeline? And my second you know, question is, and again, this is just your, your thoughts on the future. Do you, do you feel that businesses will be as much under pressure to require people to wear masks when vaccinations are so fully available? You know, would, would you do that as a business owner? So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on both of those issues. Yeah, you know, I think for the vaccination timeline, we're pretty optimistic about what we're seeing for this summer, just because a lot of states have opened up vaccines to those 16 and over, which is really exciting. But we're still really struggling with ensuring equitable vaccine distribution and vaccine hesitancy. So those are going to be two of our big hurdles. Um, you know, when it comes to requiring masks, I think, you know, again, I kind of go back to that, that kind of caveat answer where we, we still are learning a little bit more and more every single day about how the vaccines hold up against asymptomatic infection and transmission. So until we get a better handle on that, I think masks are going to be pretty, you know, pretty much in the, <laughs> in our future. Um, but when it comes to vaccine status, I, I really struggle with requiring vaccines and the notion of vaccine passports. I think it is so important to encourage and provide coverage so that if people go get vaccinated and they feel crummy afterwards, they can stay home without getting, you know, um, without being penalized. But I also think it's really important to just kind of acknowledge that while vaccines might be available to people, they might not also be truly distributed, you know, at an equity level to all areas that need it. And some people may not feel comfortable getting vaccinated or it might be contraindicated for them. So when you are considering requiring a vaccine for a business, I highly stress that that could create an equity issue and that you know, just the sheer operationality of that is really complicated and it requires, you know, private health information. So I think it's important to, you know, right now the CDC guidance is only about those who have been fully vaccinated, not needing to quarantine after an exposure, you know, as long as they can keep masking and everything like that. Um, so 
I, I would, I would stress caution, caution with that. I would say, yeah, encourage people to get vaccinated, but don't make that a term of employment or in any way, shape or form impact their, you know, their ability to do their job or their treatment while they're doing their job. Dr. Saskia Popescu is the assistant professor of the biodefense program at the Shar School of Policy and Government at George Mason University. Saskia, thank you so much. That was great information. Uh, we'd love to have you back uh, sometime later on this year. You'll give us an update on where things stand and more advice for business owners. But I appreciate you taking the time. It was very helpful. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. My name is Gene Marks. If you'd like more information on how to run your business or advice for running your business, please join us for at the Paychex podcast business series and also on the Paychex website. That's paychex.com forward slash works. That's W-O-R-X. Again, my name is Gene Marks. Thanks so much for joining us today. We will be back with another podcast episode shortly. Take care. This podcast is property of Paychex Inc. 2021. All rights reserved.